Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 5. We're going to go back to our series on uh, the godly disciplines and just different things in our lives that we can put in place to, uh, you know, be more godly, since that's kind of the goal of this life. Uh, Before we get into our text and pray, uh, there was some people who I think... uh, got the message that I was against uh, homeschooling. That is not the case. Um, I am against those who throw stones at other people who say they're sinning because they choose some other method. We are for homeschooling. I think it's a good thing. We have a lot of people who do homeschooling here. The elders let them use the building. And uh, so um, put the safety back on your gun. Um, We... (laughs) We're all for homeschooling. All right, so with that, let's pray, and then we'll get into a very fun text for this morning. Father, we come before you now thankful that you are our God, that your spirit um, just is so good to us in helping open up the truth of your word to our lives so that uh, our hearts, our minds can understand it so that we have the power to obey it. We're thankful for the scriptures, Father, which are your great love gift to us along with Jesus so that we might hear you speak through the pages of your word because your Holy Spirit inspired your truth. When the word of God speaks, you speak. And Father, we are thankful for that. We are thankful we have a God who loves us enough not to leave us groping in the darkness, but who has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through your precious and magnificent promises. I pray this morning as we dig into your word, as we look again at another era where we can practice just the discipline of time management, that we would hear you speak to us through your scriptures, and Father, that your Holy Spirit would fix your truth upon our lives and our our minds so that we might put it into practice. Father, we thank you for being able to worship here in this nice place, to have freedom to do so. We don't take it for granted. We know that many people are persecuted for doing what we're doing now, and Father, we are thankful for it and pray that as we worship and continue to see what you have for us and the pages of your word, that we would be encouraged and leave here better equipped to live for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. The most complicated and accurate mechanical clock ever constructed is located in Copenhagen Town Hall in Denmark. Its designer was Jen Olsen, who spent 50 years designing the clock and 12 years constructing it. It was completed in 1955. The clock has separate but interconnected dials showing the local time in Copenhagen, the actual solar time. Uh, It has also the difference between the local and solar time, the times of all the different time zones on the earth, the time of sunrise and sunset according to the local and solar time, the length of daylight and night. It shows the Gregorian calendar year, the day of the week, month, and local mean time or Greenwich time, phases of the sun and moon as well as the holidays with Easter Sunday as the reference point an astronomical star map of the sky over Denmark, which shows the precise position of the Earth's axis, also shows the geocentric orbit of the Earth, as well as calculating the future in solar and lunar eclipses, along with distances between the sun and the moon at any time of the year. The clock has 12 movements and is made up of 15,448 parts and has an accuracy of 0.5 seconds every 300 years and has a running cycle of 25,753 years. So it's just your basic watch, like you can go down by $12 and get something like that. But what's neat about it is really his clock, the Olsen clock, is a monument to a precious gift that God has given us, time. Time is the succession of moments, and we are all creatures of time, and all of God's creation functions within the succession of moments. We have days and months and years because of the solar bodies and how they orbit around the sun. And what's great about it is is we have this life given to us so that we might use it for God's glory. Time is a precious gift given to us 
so that we can use it for his glory. The problem is, is our whole life is just but a blip on the radar and then it's gone. Psalm 90 or Psalm 39 verse 5 says the psalmist says my lifetime is as nothing in your sight. Psalm 144 verse 4 a man is like a mere breath his days are like a passing shadow. Or as James says in James chapter 1 verse 10 our lives are like flowering grass that passes away. And later goes on to say in chapter 4, verse 14, that our life is like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Life on earth, God says, is short, but it's not insignificant. Because it is during this life that we can choose life or death, heaven or hell. We can choose to invest in eternity or not invest in eternity. And those are the things that God has given us. And depending on how you use your life in this world will determine all eternity for you. All eternity. Think about that. Your capacity to glorify God in eternity is determined by how faithful you live for him in this life. You remember a lot of the parables talk about this. The, 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 the guy who invested, remember, his talents well was put over ten cities in the kingdom. The one who did not, but a few cities. And the one who buried his, bad news. The whole point that a lot of the parables teach is how we live in this world impacts eternity, the kingdom. Researchers have said that by the year 2015, the average projected lifespan for people living in America will be 80 years old. Assuming you have really good health and will be able to go strong to the very end, and uh, very few people do, by the way. Some of you have already passed the 80 mark, so you're on borrowed time already. But um, you take your age, whatever that is, discounting people who are past 80, and say, suppose I'm going to live to the, the average highest expected uh, lifespan. I'm going to live to 80, let's say. How much time do I have left? And so whatever that is, you know, so I've got, you know, 30 years left. And so I go, okay, I have 30 years. Now, what am I going to do with that 30 years, assuming I'm able to go strong and live until the very end? You ask yourself, what will I wish I would have accomplished when my, in my case, 30 years are done? When I look back at my life, I'm going to say, I wish I would have what? What will I wish I would have done for the Lord before those 30 years are up if God so gives me the average age life expectancy and I'm able to go strong until the end? Those are the kind of questions you need to ask. And when you die, how many people will have been touched for the cause of Christ by you? By your life, by your witness, by your words, by your giving, by your serving. When people are at your funeral, what are they going to say? Man, he died and left a huge collection of beer bottles in his garage. You know, I mean, what are they going to say? Man, you know, he did this or that. What are they going to say about you impacting eternity? You're going to die, in case you didn't know that. A lot of times people don't like to think about it, but it's one of those constants One of those statistics that never flutters. There's a 100% death rate, and you're going to die. It's appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says. And the world doesn't want you to think about dying. As a matter of fact, people are freaked out about dying. If you talk to your average unbeliever, go, hey, let's talk about death. I don't want to talk about that. I mean, it scares them. I worked in a hospital for a while. I saw a lot of people who didn't love God dying. They're terrified. Because the thing that they they love the most, their life independent of God, is being slowly drug away from them. One of Satan's strategies is to distract you from thinking about eternity to come. 
and how your life right now relates to eternity. He wants you to act and think as if, oh, you got plenty of time. Oh, you'll do that some other day. Oh, you'll get around to it. This is why Jesus regularly told the parables about people who failed to live in light of eternity. You are the person who did or did not invest the talents. You are one of the virgins who either prepared to meet the bridegroom or did not. You are one of the laborers who will give an account. You are one of the ones forgiven much. You are one who needs to live as if you meet, you'll meet your maker at any time. You are the one who must be ready doing Jesus' work when he comes. All of those are about you using your time wisely now in light of after death. When the master shows up. And those parables, when the master comes, that's when eternity begins for you. Of course, Satan doesn't want you to think about eternity. He wants you to think about TV and Facebook and tweeting on Twitter. He wants you to be reading the newspaper and video games. And he would love you to distract you with a million things so that you live a selfish, unproductive life that has no impact on eternity. Progress, according to the world, is having more things faster. That's what progress is, according to the world. Having more things faster. Technology is just increasing in an exponential rate. It's speeding up. People are torn in millions of directions. Every week there's a new gadget. You just gotta have it. It will, quote, save you time. No, they're like time black holes is what they are. See yourself just being sucked into the smartphone. You don't need it, but everybody says, oh, you need to see it. We'll save you. It is so cool. It has so many gadgets to waste your time. You're constantly texting and typing and talking and going and doing and downloading and rebooting. And, you know, all those things which people for thousands of years never had to bother with. You get to bother with it. It's good, they say. And people are irritated if you don't respond within 30 seconds. <laughs> hey, man, I, I texted you. Where were you, man? It took you like 45 seconds to respond. I have a right to have instant access to your life 24 hours a day. Not my life. You offend them if you don't respond right now. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. That is just begging for a whole other sermon. Do not set your mind on the things of the earth. It doesn't say never think about it. It means don't always be thinking about the earth and what's destined to perish and which has no eternal consequence. Yes, we all need to do it to a degree, but let's not always be thinking about that. Let's always be thinking about heaven, eternity, after death, forever and ever, and how we can live now to make a difference then. If you've ever read uh, a biography of some great saint or something, you, you, read, you read these people's lives and you just think, man, they accomplished so much. I mean, I've got, I've got like entire sets of books written by one person in my office. I think, man, how do they write so much? You ever wonder, how do they, how do they get so much done? We're going to find out this morning. Our text is about that. It's in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. If you've never studied Ephesians, then Bob told us about it. So, you know, he gave us a little background. But really, the first three chapters deal with our position and riches in Christ. And then in the latter chapters, verses 4 through 6, it tells us how to live out or live in light of our position and riches in Christ. So the first three chapters is these are all the cool things God has given you. And then the last chapters are, and these are what you're supposed to do with them. You see this very clearly. For instance, if you look at chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, 
he begins the kind of application or the how-do section with these words, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Look at Ephesians 4.17. So this I say and confirm together with the Lord that you walk... No longer, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Look at Ephesians 5, 2. And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Look at verse 8 of chapter 5. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So what you see here is this constant theme in this section about walking, walking, walking. And in each one of these walk texts, there is a contrast being made to walking either according to the world and Satan and things that are futile and sin, or walking to the glory of God. Those two things are put at at opposites in each of these texts. You have a choice. You can walk towards, you know, as Bunyan would put it, the celestial city, or you can go towards the city of destruction. You can never go both ways. You're either going closer to glory or farther away. There is no, well, I'm walking with one leg and arm towards the city of destruction and one leg and arm towards... It doesn't work that way. You'd get torn in two. You walk one way or the other. So every decision in life is either a negative thing or a positive thing. A hell-bound thing or a heaven-bound thing. And that's where all these things are put together. So from in in chapter 5, in the first verses of chapter 5, all the way down to verse 14, in the previous context, Paul is just saying, don't be deceived, don't participate in the evil deeds of darkness. Instead, expose them. What I want you to do is I want you to walk in obedience to the truth and all those things we just got through learning because of what Christ has done for you and given you. And then we get to our text, which is Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, where he says this. Therefore, be careful how you walk, and there it is again, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So what we have here is we have two basic exhortations and one motivation to encourage you to use your time for the glory of God so that you don't follow Satan's plan for your life, which is just waste your life on futility. First is don't walk unwisely. Look at verse 15 where Paul says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men. The word be careful means to understand, to discern, to look critically or closely or with precision or accuracy at something. It's really a scrutinizing look. That that word is then coupled with the word walk. And the word walk is just a figurative way of describing how you live your life. So when he says, be careful how you walk, he's saying, I want you to get out the magnifying glass. I want you to scrutinize, examine, look at your life and see how you're living your life. And to make sure it's not in an unwise way. Wiest in his word studies in the Greek New Testament offers this uh, kind of a uh, loose translation and then an explanation. He translates it, quote, be, be constantly taking heed how accurately you are conducting yourself. That's the whole force of it. And then he goes on to say, that is, see to it that your conduct is accurate with respect to the demands of the word of God. That it is like a motorist accurately following on the right side of the center line dividing traffic unless of course you live in England or some of those other scary places like New Zealand and then you want to be on the other side of the line but the whole point is you know when you're driving you don't you don't just like look out the window hopefully um you you pay attention to the line right you don't want to be drifting around that's why texting is dangerous when you're driving you kind of you start texting all of a sudden you look up and say get back in your lane because the car's coming you're gonna do a head-on You have to pay attention so that you stay in your lane. There is some accuracy needed there to stay alive. And this is what Paul is communicating with this word. 
Charles Hodge, commenting on this verse, says it means, quote, to walk strictly by rule so as not to deviate by a hair's breadth. And so that's where you, again, you see that precision, the accuracy, the intention um, to stay within the bounds of God's word so that you don't deviate. The Ephesians were suffering from the very same thing that people in the church are suffering today. There is this dabbling in the deeds of darkness. Satan is after you to incapacitate you, to divert you, to distract you, so that you are not living in a way that gives glory to God. And he'll do it by degrees and slow you, suck you in to the world and all of its junk, so that all of a sudden you, you realize, after it's too late, I wasted my life. Here I am. I'm 79 and 364 days old. Jack Hughes says I'm supposed to die tomorrow and it's over. I've wasted my life. And that is why Paul says in the preceding verse, he quotes Isaiah chapter 60 verse 1, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead. I mean, he quotes that verse just to say, snap out of it, man. Get a clue. Wake up. Why are you sleeping? Why are you just kind of drifting with the world? Stop. Wake up, examine, scrutinize, look at your life, and don't be deluded. Don't be mesmerized like the Aramean army in 2 Kings 6. You remember that? How they were all just kind of, you're saying, I don't remember that. Um, Let me tell you about it. What happened is Elisha, the prophet, is causing so much grief to Israel's enemies, the Arameans, that they go, well, let's just go kill him. Let's go capture him. So they all surround Elisha, and Elisha comes out and with the help of God does this huge Jedi mind trick on him. And he basically says, you're going to follow me. And they all go, okay. And then they all march with Elisha into the camp of Israel, and then wake up. They wake up and it's like, what are we doing here? And they're, they're in the camp of Israel. They're enemies and they're surrounded. They, they were clueless. That's how some people live their life. They just go through life. I'm just doing, I'm going to work, I'm eating, I'm having fun. I'm going to work, I'm eating, I'm having fun. I'm going to work, I'm eating, I'm having fun. You remember when you first came to Christ, how incredible it was, how you saw everything in a different light? All of a sudden, you start realizing, man, this is, this is a cool book, man. There's all kinds of cool stuff in here. And you want to tell people about it, and they're like, leave me alone. Leave me alone. You know, just stay away from me, you religious fanatic. Get away. Let me go. And they're just kind of catatonic to the things of God. And you're like, oh, man, this is awesome, man. You need to know about Jesus. And they're going, get away from me, you religious fanatic. And they're just kind of going through the world. And you're thinking, what is going on? Well, Paul tells us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. He says, we were all walking dead people. Think about it. Just, you know, you're zombies. Before you come to know Christ, you're just the walking dead. Satan has you. He's working in you. You're his pawn. You're deluded. You're dead to the things of God. You're dead to what's most important. You're dead to salvation. You're dead to eternity. You're just kind of going through the motions. And it isn't until the grace of God breaks through in your life and wakes you up from your slumber... That you realize, man, I am on my way to hell. I need to give my life to Christ. And when you do that and the Spirit enters, everything changes. You're born again. You have a completely different worldview. Like the Aramean army, so many in the world are just going along through the motions. Don't be like that. You used to live that way. Don't be that way anymore. And this is why Paul says, be careful, precise, accurate in how you live your life. And then Paul says, how not to live first. This is the negative way. Don't live this way as, look at the middle of verse 15, not as unwise men. The word unwise is just the word wise with uh, that's negated. It, it means unwise, ignorant, mindless, stupid, or foolish. I don't know who said it, but someone did, and it's right. People don't plan to fail, they fail to what? Plan, that's right. 
Christians don't wake up in the morning and go, okay, let me see how I can get through the whole day today without doing a single thing for God. Um, just totally waste my life today. If I could just do, go another day wasting my life, it would be wonderful. Christians don't do that. If you were to ask them, say, are you to live for the glory of God? Well, yeah. What's your plan? What are you talking about? You're not living for God. The default position is waste. Follow Satan. Indulge the flesh. That's the default position. It takes no effort, no planning, no goals. You can be spiritually dead and get to hell. It, it, it takes no effort. You can give your ear, ears to the cruel one by default, by not planning. We have, so far in this series, talked about reading God's Word, studying God's Word, meditating on God's Word, you know, praying and worshiping both corporately and privately and fasting and evangelism. And we're trying to give you some practical things that you can do to put into practice so that you're not walking in an unwise way. You're not living in an unwise way. There's only one way to become faithful and consistent in the godly disciplines, and it's to stop walking unwisely, foolishly, ignorantly, minded, mindlessly, just to stop going in that direction. Godlessness never happens by accident. It's only on purpose. It's like cleaning the oven. And you got to, you know, at least... I mean, most ovens now, you just flip the lever and hit the button. But at least you got to do it. It just doesn't happen by accident. You have to do it. You have to intend to do it. And many Christians are kind of like romantic gardeners in the way they live their life. Now, there'll be a time in their life where, you know, New Year's comes around, they make some resolutions, and yeah, I'm going to do this. And it's like the, the gardener goes out there on a cool spring day and digs up a big plot and, you know, plants a bunch of seeds. He's going to have beans and tomatoes and corn and all these things. Like, yeah, and he waters them in. It's very wonderful. It's like, yeah, we're going to have some fresh veggies. But then as the, all those seeds start sprouting, so do a million little weedlings. There and there, man, the whole ground is infested with them competing for that same piece of dirt. And all of a sudden you start realizing as the days begin to get hotter that all those weeds, they love the heat. And they're native to the soil. So they tend to grow a little bit better than whatever you planted that's some sort of F1 hybrid of something that's in order to give you certain things, it's a little mangled in other areas. And all of a sudden, now you've realized, man, the weeds are taking over. And so you go out there with your, your hoe on a hot summer day, and you're hacking and hacking and hacking, and it's just, you're worn out, and all of a sudden you're thinking, you know, I could just go to Costco, and for 20 bucks, get a whole case. <laughs> I can even drive over there in my air-conditioned car, walk in the air-conditioned store, and just get some. Get it over with. When really, if you had just planned a little bit, like maybe three days a week for 10 minutes just to go out there, you know, with a cup of tea or coffee in one hand and a little hoe. You can kill little weedlings with very little effort when they're little. Let them get big, then they're nasty. It's like the sins in our lives. You see them popping up, you deal with them right now. You let them get big, they're nasty. They're hard to uproot out of your life. And all these things in the world, they're all trying to tempt you and drag you into sin. They're all trying to fight for the same piece of turf in your life. To consume time that God has given you to use for his glory. Isn't that what Solomon says in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11? Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to the rest, and your poverty will come upon you like a vagabond and your need like an, a an armed man. I mean, how do ants survive? You ever see over there anybody directing traffic with the ants? Okay, over here. Come on over here. No, they just, oh, there's, we're moving. When it's warm, we're working for the time it gets cold. That's what we're doing. There's nobody out there directing traffic. 
They all just they all talk and they keep moving. You don't see ants just kind of hanging out. It's like, yeah, what, what's going on? I'm bored. Well, then do something. I don't know what to do. They find something to do. He says, even though they don't have a ruler, they work. They don't just work when they're under the whip. They work because they work. They're created to work, just like you and I are created to work, to do something that's profitable. So the first step in practicing the discipline of time management is to evaluate your life and stop doing unwise, ignorant, mindless, stupid, foolish things. Scrutinize your life and look at it. And don't do the things that are sinful. Just stop. Secondly, do walk wisely. This is the positive half. Now, he says, don't do those things that you did before you were coming to Christ, came to Christ that are sinful. Just don't even go back there. Secondly, do walk wisely. Look at the end of verse 15 and the beginning of verse 16. Paul has told us negatively what not to do. Now he tells us positively how we are to be walking. He says, don't walk as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time. Wisdom, in a biblical sense, is to have knowledge that you can put into practice. Knowledge that you can put into practice. I remember when I was first learning how to lay block, it was ugly. I read a bunch, and then I tried laying some block, and it was ugly. I mean, they were crooked, and I, the, the mortar, I made it too thin or too thick, and kept falling off. You know, it was like, man, what is the deal? That after several hundred blocks, I got better. I started gaining wisdom with practice, and that's how it works. Wisdom comes with the application of knowledge. Knowledge just makes you more accountable. Accountable to what? To live it out. To be wise. And of course, where do you get the knowledge to live wisely? Well, knowing God's word. Knowing God's word. And then you can put it into practice. Any believer will tell you that the key... To living a godly life is to being saturated, to have the word of Christ richly dwelling within you. You just got to get the word. You've got to have as much as you can. You got to keep it in there. Keep lots of the word. You got to read it and study it and listen to it and teaching and preaching and Bible on tape and good books and good music and anything you can to stick the word in you. You've got to get it in there. Paul's solution to living a, a wise life is found at the beginning of verse 16, making the most of your time. At least that's how the New American Standard has it. The New International Version translates it, making the most of every opportunity. The English Standard Version, making the best use of your time. The New King James Version has redeeming the time, which kind of carries it the literal meaning. It's to purchase up, to, to purchase. It's like there's a, a run on, on you know something at the start. And you go in there and you buy it up. You know, this is the only time they're having your favorite brand of whatever, and then it's going out of business. So you go out there and you redeem it up. You sacrifice your hard-earned money to acquire something. Well, in the same way, whenever you want to use time for the Lord, you have to say no to every other pleasurable thing and every sin and every other thing. You have to sacrifice any whatever that is to do the thing that God wants you to do. That is the cost that you're going to have to pay. Some people were, uh, came here in the first service from Kansas, and um, I, I've preached at uh, Grace Bible Church in Hutchison, Kansas a few times, and there was a whole mob of them here for a wedding. Anyways, they all came up, and, and they were one of the guys was talking about uh, the pastor, Rick Gertzen, who's preached here before, and how he was driving through the middle of Wyoming. Now, he's on vacation, He's driving through the middle of Wyoming, and he has an opportunity now to listen to whatever he wants on his radio. He's on his motorcycle. He's got a big Harley or something. But anyways, um, he's, he's listening to whatever he wants. What do you listen to when you drive around? Well, he was listening to. He kept turning into the station until he found a Christian station. There was this psychotic guy on there teaching in the attributes of God in the middle of Wyoming. And he said, this is Jack Hughes. So he calls me from this little gas station in the middle of nowhere and says, man, there's like three radio stations in the whole, I mean, 
And I dial in and there's this guy and he's preaching and it's you. What are you doing? I said, I don't know. Some guy called up, wanted to use my things for a radio station. So they're out there. I don't know. Um, but the point is, it's a good example. See, that right there, he, he makes purposeful use of his time to listen to things that are going to help him. I mean, he didn't know I was in the middle of Wyoming. But he's looking for something. That's going to edify him. You have to make a choice. You can listen to talk radio. I can tell you what's on there. Men are sinners. And corrupt. And they want you to buy stuff. Lots of stuff. I mean, that's what you get. You need to think of every, you know, minute as a penny. And every, you know, 10 minutes as a dime. And every 50 minutes as a quarter. And every, you know, hour as a a dollar. And you need to buy those up. You need to redeem those things. You need to get them into your possession for the Lord. Warren Worsby in the Bible Exposition Commentary says, quote, Only a fool drifts with the wind and the tide. A wise man marks out his course, sets his sails, and guides the rudder until he reaches his destination. When a man wants to build a house, he first draws his plans so he knows what he is doing. Yet how many Christians plan their days so that they use their opportunities wisely? End quote. Worsby goes on to quote someone who said, quote, when the pilot does not know what port he is headed for, no wind is the right wind, end quote. You will never reach your goals if you have no destination. You know, if I say, well, 20 years now, what are you going to wish you accomplished? I don't know. Well, I guarantee you're not going to reach it. You will never accomplish nothing because you have nothing to accomplish. You have no goal. You have no port you're bound for. Your life is just adrift. And the default position, worldliness, sinful indulgence, slavery to Satan. That's the default position. You talk to a person who has accomplished much in the business world, they're constantly planning, constantly looking at trends, constantly evaluating, constantly checking, constantly talking to other people so they can stay on the cutting edge and make the most money. You find somebody who has a picture-perfect garden, they're going to show you a plan. They've got a plan. I know they do. You find a builder who makes beautiful houses, you're going to find a person with plans. It just has happened. The same is true with your walk with the Lord. Do you know what you're doing every week? I can tell you what I'm doing every single pretty much block of time, every minute of the week, except for lunch times, which vary. Every week. The busier I get, the more I have to organize my life. I'm pretty hyper-organized. Why? So I can get lots done. I have to say, oh, got to do this now. Oh, got to do this now. Oh, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to put this over here. And if by chance something happens, I have backup plans. I have contingency plans. I know what to drop. I know what to put into place. I know what to sacrifice. I have to do that all the time. You have to do that all the time. It's necessary. I mean, one of the people who is really good at this in history, if you've never um, read uh, his biography, Ian Murray's got a biography about Jonathan Edwards. It's just incredible how as a teen, he started writing resolutions, which he kept working on throughout his life. His real, you know, resolutions are awesome. Determined to spend every, you know, moment, every day as if it were my last day on this earth. And he had tons of them like that where he would decide to live every moment and do these certain things. And he would keep reading his resolutions, you know, once or twice a month or something. And so his whole life, he accomplished huge amounts, wrote incredible books. But he never had email. Never texted. Never had a cell phone. Never had a phone. And if you wanted to go visit him, you had to hike out in the woods six miles or wherever. He was... In some little church. At the end, he was kicked out of his big church because he didn't think unbelievers should be taking part in having communion. The whole point is, is he, he planned his life. He stuck to his plan. He accomplished much for God. No plan, you never get to your port. You have to plan. You have to plan. You have to use your time for God's glory. If you don't, you'll have nothing accomplished. If you look at people like that and you're just thinking, man, how does it happen? You know, uh, I mean, I don't know what I, I want to do. Is, I've even made resolutions. And then I just, well, that's because Satan is trying to distract you. The world is trying to distract you and your flesh is trying to distract you. Those three things are against you. Satan, 
the world and your flesh. They are against you organizing your life for the glory of God. So you need to learn to say no to those things. And if you're just wondering how in the world, you know, you could ever get very much done for the Lord with all that against you, let me just give you seven practical steps you can take to get, make the most of your time. First, understand what your priorities are. You have to know what your priorities are. And if you don't know, go back on the website and just listen to all the sermons in the discipline series because the whole series is about you having godly priorities in your life. Every one of them. Reading the word, studying the word, giving, serving, telling other people about Jesus, praying, worshiping in spirit and truth. These are the things that should be the highest priority. And then there's a lot of things that happen in your life, though, that don't fit into that. The whole variety of things. So this is what you need to do. Get together with your small group, or you can do this individually, or a Bible study, or maybe your Sunday school class, make a chart up or something, and try and be fanatic for two or three days, and just write down every single thing you did every waking moment. And then see how that affects your life. You're going to be convicted sometimes just writing him down. It's like, man, uh, everybody underestimates how much time they spend watching TV or whatever, you know, uh, sitting in front of some electrical brain sucking device. Where they say, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't do very much of that. And then when they really actually check, it's like, oh, so you only spend six to eight hours. The average is seven. Oh. Well, it didn't seem like that much. That's because you were checked out. You know, it's seven hours a day. You could get your doctorate in a couple of years. I'm telling you, that's a lot of time. You can use for some cool stuff. You can learn languages. You can do stuff that's productive, that blesses other people, that even blesses yourself. I mean, something that's not just wasting, but, you know, is going to help you accomplish something, learn something, do something, something productive rather than just wasted. Then once you get all those things written down on paper that you do, Then get together and talk about, okay, what are our highest priority things? Those spiritual pursuits that we need to do because it's what Christians do. These would be things like praying, reading the Bible, studying, evangelizing, you know, doing things that God commands you to do that you need to do because you're a Christian. The highest priority things. Then identify those. Don't just leave your list to the side. We will get there back to that list. So you're just identifying high priority things. Then go back and say, what about medium priority things? These are things that you have to do. And a lot of times they have spiritual emphasis in them, sometimes not. Um, but you do them and you try to walk in the spirit and live for the glory of God while you do them. But they're not like the high priority things like j- your job, um, you know, um, Taking care of your house, cooking and cleaning and paying the bills. And, you know, you got to do them. Um, You have to do things like eating, uh, sleeping. You know, those things you have to do. They're not like the super high priority spiritual things, but the things that take the lion's share of the time, you have to do that. Then you've got low priority things. These could be things that are sinful, things that you shouldn't do, or things that are just time wasters. Um, Things like reading the newspaper and TV and video games and Facebook and reading fiction and texting and hobbies and entertainment and being bored and laying around procrastinating and complaining to your mom there's nothing to do um things like that whatever it is um the sinful things need to go those are the unwise things and then there's all these low priority things then once you get that down here's my highest priority my medium priority here's some low priority ones that are still acceptable in the word of god now compare what your time is and how you're using it to those things. Make sure you get your high priority things in there. You put them into your life as an inflexible, I have to do this type of thing. Other low, let other low priority things be, fall off the beat truck. But don't let the high priority things suffer because of low priority things. Don't sit there and go, yeah, you know, I'm going to give some crumbs to reading my Bible, but I'm going to give huge blocks of time to sinful indulgence or just pure time wasting. Don't let those low priority things, you know, consume all the high priority time. Usually the medium priority things, are, you do those things because you got to. If you don't show up to work, you get fired. But... 
The high priority things, getting up, spending time with the Lord. You can try and stuff those into the cracks of your time once you have done the medium priority and low priority things. No, that's where there needs to be a switch. You don't stuff them in anywhere. You give the Grand Canyon to the things of God and stuff your worldly entertainments into the cracks. That's how you do it. Secondly, have a plan to maintain and regularly modify and improve upon your priority thing, high priority things. What happens is, is since your life is always in flux, things change. You know, you get older, your kids get older, or you're having babies, or your job changes, or, you know, whatever it is. Life is constantly in a flux. You constantly have to evaluate, how am I doing? Am I spending time with the Lord? Am I serving? Am I giving? Am I telling people about Jesus? You know, uh, how am I doing in my prayer life? Things like that. You're evaluating your high priority things to make sure they're still a high priority in the use of your time. Because what's going to happen is, is you're going to go through life and you're going to say, well, you know, I'm not getting enough of the word in. I'm super busy on I need some more things. Well, then stick some more word in. I don't know how to do it. I, I work this many days. I'm driving you this way. I come home. My wife and kids one time. You know, I got to get a little exercise when I jog or whatever. It's like, OK, well, then do this. Start listening to sermons, the Bible on tape, or good things, uh, books, audio books, when you're driving back and forth to work all the time. Never turn on the radio. Only listen to good things. Listen to good music that has edifying lyrics. You know, talk to people. You know, get rid of your hobby. Take something over here. When you jog, listen to something. Go pray. Do whatever. You know, do double duty. Double duty. You know, you can either go out to the garage and be depressed while you're shuffling around and sweeping the floor in your garage... Or you can actually edify yourself with a good sermon or some good music or the Bible or something, audio book or something. Do something that edifies your mind while you're doing whatever you're doing. Double use. A lot of people waste a lot of their time because they don't double use their time for the glory of God. Do that. Third, consider the things you must do um, that will help maintain your priorities. A lot of times... You know, when you're saying, I want to do this, sometimes you have to do other things before you can get there. Let's say, you know, I would like to teach the Bible. Okay, then you need to learn how to study the Bible. And you need to learn how to uh, need some doctrine and some theology. Believe me, you can't just show up and say, hey, listen, I'm ready to teach. I don't know anything, but let me add them. We're not going to let you. Um, You have to first be faithful in the little things, get yourself equipped, and then you can go do that. You know, if you're saying, hey, you know, I would like to be a person who, you know, does this or does that or this ministry or that ministry or even just things, you know, I would like to, you know, start my own business or whatever. You can't just go out there and wing it. There needs to be a plan. You need to a a lot of times do many things before you get to your goal. That's why you need to plan. So you know where you're going and how to get there. And then you stick to your plan. You can't say, well, I'd like to get my doctorate. But, you know, I just show up and go, could I have one? Well, yeah, for $10, one that doesn't mean anything, they could just mail it to you. Piece of paper from who knows university, nowhere university. But yeah, you want to get a real one, then you have to make effort. That's just how it is. You want to be involved in a discipleship group? It may involve saying no to other things that are good. It's just how it is. You have to say things. You have to do that. You have to say no to some good things sometimes, really good things, things you want to do, things you long to do, but you can't. Get some friends to hold you accountable. We're going to text you. Use your cell phone for something decent. Did you read your Bible today? Did you have your devotion today? What did you read? Tell me. Talk to people. Say, okay, I need you guys to check up on me because this is what I'm trying to accomplish. How much do you want us to pester you? A lot. Okay. And then have them pester you until you develop that the habit. Put whatever you are trying to accomplish on your prayer list. Keep asking God for help. Memorize key scriptures. Get good resources, books, tapes, whatever, that are going to help you achieve whatever it is. Four, look into the near and far future when making your plans. This is so important. A lot of people don't do this. You have to look way down as well as just in the near proximity of life today and this week and next month. And you know, this is what I want to do in general. Look at your life and say, okay, what if God is going to let me live five more years and then I'm going to drop dead. So what do I want to have accomplished five years from now when I look back? 
Or what if he gives you 10 years or 15 years or 20 years? What do you want to have accomplished for God? Okay, whatever that is, whatever that goal is, you have to make adjustments today and sacrifice today. You have to purchase up, redeem up time today in order to get there. Because if you don't, you'll never reach your goal. And then you'll have regrets when you die. Five, don't be overambitious. You know, don't say, okay, and you can be overambitious and not sinning, doing the unwise things. But when it comes to planning, don't, don't be so, you know, I'm just, okay, Pastor Hughes, I'm getting up at 3.30 tomorrow morning. I'm going to get some broken glass. I'm going to make a little shrine in the corner of my room when I get home. I'm going to nail on that glass and I'm going to pray. No, 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 no. Um, why don't you just try getting up? And spending 30 minutes with the Lord consistently in a soft chair. You can do the glass later. No. Um, the whole point is, is, remember, start small and work up from there. So if you're too ambitious and you make too much radical change, you probably haven't noticed this, but life does change slowly. You know, there rarely does, is a person, you know, going this way and all of a sudden just goes that way. It happens at salvation. You kind of have the drug addict sometime who comes to Christ and then they're going the other direction. I mean, there is some radical stuff that happens, but most of the time spiritual growth happens gradually. And if you over, um, you know, plan and say, well, man, I'm doing this. What you're going to find out is you'll be exasperated and then you'll be disappointed when you can't meet up to your overamped expectations and then it will thwart you rather than encourage you. So start small and seek to be consistent and then work up from there. Six, don't be pessimistic about your planning. You know, there's so many people just, well, I'm too old. I'm too immature. Well, you don't know how busy I am. Well, the last time I checked, I think you have 24 hours in your day and I have that in mind. Oh, yeah. In Jane Austen's classic Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Darcy is talking to Mrs. Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth Bennet about who's who is questioning about his, his antisocial behavior. And he explains to her that he's just not good at making small talk. And she replies, quote, I don't play the piano all that well, but I always supposed it was my fault for not being willing to practice, end quote. <laughs> That's how it is. Yeah, I just don't know the Bible very well. Oh. Now whose fault could that be? There's only like, you know, 20 Christian radio stations, a whole bookstore over here, a million things on the internet, free Bibles at Calvary Bible Church, preaching, teaching, ad infinitum that you can have access to. Now, you don't know your Bible very well. It's probably, you're probably too busy. Yeah, it's probably your mother-in-law. Yeah, it's probably, you know, I mean, what are you going to blame? Look in the mirror and tell yourself the truth. I am my own fault. It's just a broken priorities. Lack of planning. So you aren't getting to the port that you want. One of the good things that I liked about my mom is she loved learning stuff. So at 78 years old, she enrolled in landscaping classes, the local college. She shows up. She goes, man, I'm learning lots of great stuff. And she says, everybody else in the class is about 20-year-old. There are a bunch of 20-year-old kids in there. So here she is, she's going to school, Every, they're all guys in the class, she's the only girl, 78, the grandma. She goes, man, I want to learn more about gardening, so I thought I'll just enroll in some landscaping classes. So she finished the classes at 78. You know, you don't have to like stop living once you retire. You can actually get another two or three more degrees and improve yourself and learn new things and do new things and benefit society and give glory to God, you know? That would be a good thing, rather than just letting the TV kind of lull you into sleep until you die. Seven, remember, whenever you say yes to something, you're saying no to everything else you could be doing at that time. This is an important principle, and it just, sometimes it's very difficult. You know, I've been interrupted 50 times. I'm trying to get my work done at the office, and I'm just zeroed in there. I'm trying to say, okay, Ruth. Don't let anybody bother me. I'm trying to get, I've got to get my sermon done. Phone call. There's a lady out here crying. She would like to talk to you. You know, it's like, what do I do? It's like, hey, listen, listen, woman, you know, 
I've got a sermon. There's a thousand people coming. They'll listen to me. And people around the world listen to me. I, can't, I don't have time for you. Go cry somewhere else. You know, those things are hard. They're hard choices. So go out there and speak nice and go, you know what? I'm really busy. I can't meet with you now. No, is it, is it a 911 thing? We can call 911 for you. No. Usually it's something they knew about for a long time, didn't ask for help, and now they're kind of emotionally, so I speak to them five minutes, pray with them, send them out so I can get back to what I have to do because I'm at, you know, DEFCON 1 in my sermon preparation. See, the, those, you have to do that. As a pastor, there's a whole bunch of people who have, you know, expectations for me who want me to do certain things. And, you know, sometimes people's expectations and God's line up, but often they don't, so I disappoint people in order to do what I know God wants me to do. It's just the way it is. I cannot be talking all day to people and write sermons and Bible studies. If I have to preach, the other week I had to preach four different times. I have to go into hermit mode, isolation. I cannot produce sermons and talk with people. I'm sorry. And it disappoints people. It's like, oh man, it seems like you're busy all the time. Wish you'd be more accessible. I wish I could be more accessible too, but you wouldn't like my sermons. Maybe you would. I'm sure they'd be less convicting. But listen, if you're saying yes to getting up early in the morning, you're saying no to staying up late. If you're saying yes to reading lots of heavy Puritan works, you're saying no to watching lots of TV. If you're going to say yes to teaching your Bible, to your children the Bible and Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, then you're going to be saying no to a lot of things, even a lot of church activities. It's just what you have to do. There's choices you have to make. So every time you say yes to something, you say no to everything else. Achieving God's highest priorities in your life requires no to bad things for sure, low priority things for sure, sometimes medium priority things, and sometimes even some high priority things. Some good ministry opportunities, but this one is the highest of the high priorities, so you have to do it. So try to focus on what you are doing that is a higher priority that's going to bless you and not focus on what you're missing out. And third, remember the days are evil. Look at verse 16. Paul gives us a reason why we are to be wise and how we use our time. He says, because the days are evil. And we all know that. He's not saying the 24-hour periods are evil, but the times in which we live are evil. We live in evil times or evil days. Moses writes in Psalm 90, verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Time is a gift from God to each of you and you are a steward of it, either a good one or a bad one. Don't walk unwisely, wasting your precious time on sinful activities. Do walk wisely, maintaining your high priority things and your medium priority things. And if you have some extra time to do some low priority things without neglecting the others, then go ahead and do it. But neglect the low priority. Sacrifice whatever pleasure, whatever ease, whatever flesh indulging, whatever things happen with that time and use it for higher priority things. Buy it up. Because the days are evil. I'm going to conclude with John Calvin's excellent words on our text. Quote, everything around us tends to corrupt and mislead. So that it is difficult for godly persons who walk among so many thorns to escape unhurt. Such corruption having infected the age. The devil appears to have obtained tyrannical sway so that time cannot be dedicated to God without being in some way redeemed. And what shall be the price of its redemption? To withdraw from the endless variety of allurements which would easily lead us astray to rid ourselves from the cares and pleasures of this world and in a word to abandon every hindrance. Let us be eager to redeem the time in every possible way and let the numerous offenses and arduous toil which many are in the habit of using as an excuse for indolence serve rather to awaken our vigilance, end quote. I love how he writes in the 1500s, the endless variety of allurements. He had no clue. 
He was a guy, though, who still had things drawing him away. Satan's always had many things, and yet he turned the world upside down because he had his priorities right and didn't give in to those things that were time-wasting, at least not very much. Pray with me. Father, we thank, are thankful for our text and the great reminder we have had to use your time, the time you have given to us that you have created for your glory and to love our fellow man. Father, I pray that all of us would evaluate our lives on a regular basis to consider how we're living so that we don't walk as unwise men, but that we would make the most of our time for the days are evil. That, Father, we would see ourselves as stewards of time. That every minute and every hour and every day is a gift from you to be used for your glory and for the blessing of others. May we not follow the world that we have been saved from, that we were enslaved to, and voluntarily follow that way again. May we live on purpose to do those things that are the highest priority in your sight. And Father, may we neglect those things the world tells us to do that we might enjoy glorifying you all the more for all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.